What did you go through in order to become the person you are today? How important is vulnerability in your life? How do we destigmatize mental health? In your life, what are some things that you've figured out? So first of all, when we met, you're just, this smile is what I see. You roll down the window and I just see this <laughs> smile. It's like bright smile, like just flowers and daisies. I'm like, oh, there she is. <laughs> we come out, we hug and just, I just loved your energy immediately. Thank you. You're just so happy, authentic. And yes, it's something special and unique about you that that I think I just felt immediately. Thank and you. I don't get that often, um, especially not here in L.A., and I wanted to ask you, you, so you said you had just got back from a women's retreat? Yeah. So I, it was a mindful weekend is what it was mm. called. Mm. And it was 10 women and mm. we all went to Lake Arrowhead. Mm. And it was like, for me lately, I've had a lot of more stressful things going mm. on in my life that mm. have been a little tough. Yeah. And it was like perfect timing for me to go on a weekend like that. And I've done retreats before, and I'm always super open. If mm. someone asks me a question, I always say, if you want to know me, you're going to know me. And if that's too much for you, mm. then I'm not right fit for you. I'm mm. not the person for you. Mm. So we went on this retreat, and it was just this instant connection with all these women. I was oh. the youngest there. I'm 24. Okay. Everyone else okay. was late 30s to 40s, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. some 50s. Like wow. I was definitely the youngest there. Wow. And I was like thriving. It was my element. I'm like, see, I feel like a 40 year old trapped an old soul. in a 24 year old yeah. body. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm an old soul. Mm -hmm. I love being around women. I love being around older women. Mm -hmm. I feel like they just understand certain things that I'm going through and can give me wisdom that mm -hmm. I can't always get from my friends. Wow. And they have more experience totally. that my friends haven't had. Yeah. So yeah. it was a wonderful weekend. And I think that pulling up here and seeing you and I instantly <laughs> got that energy too mm. and when I pulled up I was just I had such a lovely weekend that my mm. spirit feels recharged mm. and I have so much that I took away that I'm just like excited to get back mm. into my life That's and awesome. bring that energy with okay. me okay okay what was one thing that you took what was like that one big takeaway <sighs> we did this thing on the first day where we all like lit candles and wrote down our four wishes for the weekend. And then we picked one specific wish that was the mm -hmm. most important to us and we shared it. And mine was to find self-love from within. Mm -hmm. I think I look for self-love through validation of others by mm -hmm. giving to others, doing things for others, mm -hmm. giving a lot of myself and not necessarily knowing how to receive and mm -hmm. not even feeling good when I do receive, like mm -hmm. that doesn't fulfill me. Mm -hmm. So my goal was to find self-love and, to be able to see the light and the beauty that people who love me claim to see. Mm. I want to be able to see that, but I want to be able to see it not from someone saying thank you for taking me to this or mm. for inviting me to that or mm. buying me this or mm. showing me something. I want mm. it to be, I want to learn how to love myself mm. just because I love <clears throat> myself. And it's mm. really hard to do that. Mm. <laughs> wow, that's big. Okay, we starting big. This yeah. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's, I mean, if you think about it, that's the foundation. That's the crux of every every issue, every problem um, that we face is a lack of self-love. Totally. And I think it's also the answer to every issue we face. I think it's, for me, it's like, like we talked about spirituality a little bit earlier. And uh -huh. I think spirituality is like the only way to really 
fall into and into that self-love space. Really? And it's not, like you said, it's not like a doing, like an achievement, because our world is based on, you know, hey, look at me, I did this, so I should get approval or validation. Yeah. But like the recognition that our our essence is love. Totally. You know, like I think once we recognize that, that we are not these thoughts, you know, this chatterbox, you know, this broken record, right? Yeah. We think like 60,000 thoughts a day and most of them are reruns. Most of them are like the re- the repeat episodes. And But I think when we can understand that these thoughts are just clouds coming and going, but who totally. we are is the observer, the witness, which is love itself. And But that, I think that comes with meditation. Do you, 100%. Do you meditate? Do you I really struggle with meditation. Yeah. I always say, like, my biggest fear of this is a little dark, but the reason I'm so afraid of dying mm. is because the voice in my head is so loud. Mm. It never stops talking, mm. which is sometimes nice because I don't feel lonely, mm. but sometimes I cannot turn off my conscience. Mm. And I get scared that if I were to pass away or when I pass away, that that voice is still going to be trapped in there. I don't, I can't piece together where that's going to go. And so I think why meditation is really hard for me is because I want to just let go and like be one with nature, feel grounded and be able to leave that part of my mind for a few minutes and Mm. just feel my fingertips, my knees, my ankles, every Mm. part of my body. Mm. But it's really hard for me to do Mm. that. Mm. I'm trying and I do try to allocate time in my day to Mm. meditate, but it's hard. Yeah, Meditation is hard. It is. Well, you know, the Dalai Lama, he said that um, sleep is the best form of meditation. Yeah. I think that's when I get it <laughs> the most because mm. I'm always go, go, go. I, mm. I'm a, a bit of an avoider. Mm. I'm very self-aware, mm. almost too self-aware. Okay. So for me, the only time I can slow down is when I'm binge watching the same shows I've yeah. seen a million times. Yeah, yeah. And that's my piece. Yeah. Like. One Tree Hill. It's mm-hmm. a really random yeah. show. <laughs> Everyone who knows me knows that once a year, I start from season one oh, wow. and go through That's to season ritual. nine. And that, that is meditation for what? me. Season nine. That's... There's nine seasons. I watch it all the way through. And I just find like the minute it's on, I'm like so focused. <laughs> I cry at the same episodes. I get excited for the same things mm. and I never get sick of it. And I think mm. maybe that's a form of meditation yeah. for me. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's comfort. You totally. Know? That's awesome. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, routine. I think. I think you know, like we get, we get out of whack when we feel like we're not in control. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that self care, that really taking time to fill our own cups up, totally. is so important. And and that's kind of what you, I think, focus on is, is self care and. Which I think is, I mean, we're in a sauna. Literally. <laughs> By the way, how you feeling? I'm a little sweaty, You're but sweaty? I feel good. Okay. But I like it. I, I don't really sweat. That's another thing. I'm weird. Yeah. When I work out, it's really hard for me to break a sweat. Interesting. So that's why I like hot classes because mm. it's the only time I can really get that. Like hot yoga? Or yeah, what? hot okay. yoga, hot Pilates. Okay. Any hot anything, I'm yeah. like, sign me up. See, I'm the opposite. So my dad has this thing like hy- hy- hyperhidrosis or something like that where he sweats a lot. And I didn't have it growing up, but I think <laughs> I like inherited this thing. I wouldn't be hard on yourself. We are in a hot sauna, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, all right. So for people that don't know you, who are you? And what did you go through in order to become the person you are today? 
My name is Allie, for those of you who don't know, and I am 24. I'm from New York. I grew up with divorced parents from the age of six years old, and that was like the first time I noticed any sort of ability to get in touch with my mental health because change really wasn't easy for me. I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of weird OCD tendencies. I wasn't able to put, you know, a finger on this is because my parents got divorced or Mm. I'm acting this way because I'm feeling unsafe or unstable. Mm. It was more just like if there was a thunderstorm, I was in the basement because I thought there was going to be a tornado. Mm. Like it was that level of like Mm. really crippling fears that didn't really make sense. It wasn't as tangible as, oh, my parents are divorced and I'm crying because I'm sad about it. Mm. So I started to notice at a young age those kinds of issues and they continued to get worse as I got older. A lot of irrational fears, Mm -hmm. a lot of weird superstitions that were my way of getting through life. And Mm -hmm. I used to pride myself on being a person who was just a doer. Like Mm -hmm. I am a doer. I am Mm -hmm. very independent Mm -hmm. while also having attachment issues, Mm -hmm. but I'm super, super independent. I've worked since I was 13. My first job was at a nail salon and I didn't have to work. I mean, I'm very grateful for the life I have. Anything I can do to be too busy, maybe it's a way of avoiding. But Mm. if I'm busy, I can distract from those intrusive thoughts that I have in my Mm. head. And I can not think about the fear of whatever it's going to be that's on my mind in that day. Mm. So I think that's when I first developed my my strongest personality trait, which Mm. is just being a doer, Mm. being a hard worker, Mm. always trying to find the next thing that I can accomplish and make people proud about. Okay. So it kind of started there. And then with that, I picked up a lot of people-pleasing tendencies. And like I was talking about before, that's where a lot of the self-love that I'm Mm -hmm. trying to find is coming from because I grew up kind of feeling like validation comes from making people proud. Validation comes from giving to others if Mm -hmm. you buy someone something. And it's weird because I'm I'm never in the mindset of wanting to buy love for Mm -hmm. someone, Mm -hmm. but it could come off that way. It's more... I'm happy to pay for you to do this so I can share this experience with you Mm. and watching you share an experience that might make you realize something that you love that you never knew you love. Like Mm. weird Mm. example, I'll take you to Disney Mm. and I'm not trying to get a stamp of approval because I took you to Disney and bought you a ticket. I'm Mm. trying to share a memory and an experience with someone who maybe never went to Disney or Mm. never went to Disney with me. And I think Mm. I make it really fun. And, that's kind of been who I am and how I define my pride and my self-worth. So it's kind of just grown along with that. And I think what's brought me to where I am now and the person I am now is that I just love to give to others and I love to make other people happy. Mm. That's who I am. You mentioned in an interview, I, I saw that you were a survivor. Go into that a little bit. So that was because I like that word. First, I like that because it's empowering. Yeah, that it's crazy because it's the first time I ever said it out loud, Mm. and I'm still like learning how to talk about Mm. it and how to grieve from it. Mm. I'm a survivor of physical abuse, and it took me a long time to be comfortable using that word because Mm. I think I'm always the type of person that says like, "There's so many people who have it so much worse," but that Mm. doesn't like mean that I'm not a survivor. And I think that the word can feel really big and heavy. Mm. And it's also hard to accept 
that that could be something that's attached to your identity. Mm. And I'm trying to find how to make it not my identity, but something that happened to me that's made me who I am today Mm. in a positive way. And Mm. there's still hardship every day. There's still trauma. There's still Mm. things I work through, Mm. but I can be a survivor in Mm. my way. And it Mm. can be my term and the way someone else calls themselves a survivor can be their way and their version. And I think that's what made me feel comfortable to finally say that because someone made me comfortable to Mm. say I'm a survivor mm. because I was ready to say it, knowing what it means for me, mm. not what it means to someone else. Mm. It's the hardships, you know, the things that we go through that that really make us who we are. And, uh, you know, it's the the old saying, no mud, no lotus. You know, <laughs> the lotus is the most beautiful, fragrant flower on the planet. But it's only from the ugly, dirty, smelly, low swamp that this beautiful creature can emerge. Absolutely. It doesn't grow on gold. It doesn't grow in the highlands. It only from these low places, you know, so no totally. mud, no lotus. They say you get poked with so many holes in your life and one day you become holy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I really, in a positive way. In a positive way. <laughs> Something I said this weekend, actually, at the retreat I went mm. to, and I think it's an interesting point, is mm. You know, I grew up with privilege and I'm so grateful for that. And there's so many people who don't have privilege, Mm. but the one thing that can not divide us, Mm. if we think about it, is Mm. mental health. Mm. All Mm. of us, no Mm. matter who you are, Mm. if you have money, Mm. maybe you're a little more lucky because you can afford the treatment and Mm. that's a huge problem in this country. Mm. But if you strip all that away, Mm. one thing that doesn't have to divide us is mental health. Mm. Everyone struggles with it in some way, whether you're the richest person in the world or have absolutely nothing. And I think that that's also why what you're doing and what I'm doing and why it's so important is that it doesn't matter how many followers you have, how much you make. And this is a weird example, but if Kim Kardashian came out tomorrow and said she was struggling with depression Mm. there would be so many people who would say but you have everything (laughs) and you know what they're Mm. right and she has so much and Mm. she has so much access and Mm. she has a beautiful life but Mm. that doesn't mean she can't struggle with mental health there's no limits or cap Mm. on who struggles with it and so i think that that was kind of a random sidebar but it was such a breakthrough for me because i think something that can connect all of us in this world when there's so much division and Mm. so many people trying to you know, one-up someone on Mm. who has it worse or Mm. whatever. I don't think there's any worse, any Mm. harder. Everyone has struggles Mm. and some people do have things that are so much worse. And I Mm. can say that from my perspective, Mm. but mental health is something that we all Mm. experience Mm. and Mm. it doesn't have to divide us. Mm. Wow. Well said. Yeah. And ironically, you know, it's it's the countries that have the most, that have the most issues when it comes to mental health. Absolutely. You know, it's like you got countries like, you know, Bhutan, you know, one of the happiest countries in the world that, you know, they might not have indoor plumbing, but they're happy. Yeah. You know, because they have they have each other. I think in our world, unity, unity, people, community is so important. It's who we are. It's how we evolve. We got to realize we are animals, yeah. you know, and, and as an animal, we are a communal species. We, we got to this point um, on this planet. We survive because of each other. Absolutely. Like you and I are lucky we can sit in a sauna yeah. and have the privilege of being here and talking about these things. Mm. But we relate to so many people who might not have mm. the ability to do this and mm. have this way of talking or 
sending out this message. And I think that's the beauty of it. And the subject matter is just so important. And mm. so for me to you, I really respect what you're doing and mm. just think your energy is amazing and your ability to step away from one part of your life, one part of your career to then this is just so special and so meaningful because you might help one person and mm. you might help 20 million people. Yeah. But if you could help just one person, mm. this is how I feel, mm. that's better than no one. Mm. 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 Absolutely. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, my story and how I pivoted and and took a break. And I recently moved to Europe. I got a farm in Portugal um, that I live in now. Yeah, you embraced the break. Tell me, how important is it in life to sometimes take a pause and a step back? I left my job that I had at that time and took probably four months to myself. I probably could have gone a lot longer, but Mm. just those four months I traveled. I sat on the couch a lot. Mm. I relaxed a lot. I just found myself and I don't think I am done finding myself at Mm. all, but taking that break was so important for me and just finding a way to accept that that was okay. Mm. My work has always been or my work ethic has always Mm. been a big part of my identity and Mm. what makes people proud of me Mm. and what people see in me. Mm. So taking that break was hard because Mm. I didn't want to disappoint anyone Mm. or make them think that I'm not the same Allie that they Mm. know. Mm. But doing it for me was so important. And I think, you know, now I am working again and it's how I started my podcast. Mm. That break is what led me to being able to find my voice Mm. and find my purpose and, do something that makes me feel like I'm making an impact and it's therapy for me every day, but it's also therapy for others. I'm grateful that I had the privilege to be able to step away because not everyone can, but there are ways that if you can't step away completely, if you can't leave that part of you behind Mm. because of whatever reasons Mm. we live in a country that's really hard to live in if you're not working. So to that, I would say there's ways to still step away Mm. and still also do what you have to do to survive. Mm. But there's also a lot of surviving that can be done if Mm. you take a second for yourself Mm. and focus on yourself. Mm. Yeah, 100%. You know, nobody on their deathbed, you mentioned death, and I feel no one on their deathbed says, man, I I wish I put in more hours at the job. You know, (laughs) nobody says that. Nope. You know, and, and I think it's important to recognize this miracle of life that we've been given this every moment you know we never Absolutely. get back it's it's precious and it's fragile when i took my break you know recently even then people were like no you don't do that all man you're you know the algorithms the social media if you don't post you know you'll be done with and, oh my god you know we a life as a prisoner is no life at all absolutely not I relate to that so much because I'm still in the phase of really growing my podcast and my Mm. brand. And I'm just like, sometimes I just don't want to post. And I'm still figuring out what consistent Mm. posting looks like for Mm. me because it's draining. I still Mm. care what people think. Mm. I still am getting over those things. This is all new to me. I mean, I open my whole world up Mm. when I talk on my podcast. Mm. I tell people everything. I Mm -hmm. expose my family. I expose friends. Mm. Of course, I do it very graciously and I make sure that I don't hurt anyone. I just try to be authentic, Mm. but it's draining and it's a Mm. lot and it's a lot of balance finding, especially as I continue to grow and figure out what's going to be next for Mm. it. So, Mm. but I couldn't agree more. I do not want to be, 
I want my podcast to always remain therapy, mm. not something that I have to do mm. or that I feel like <laughs> I'm a prisoner of. It's it. a balance. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned you you kind of expose things that people normally won't talk about. Tell me how important is vulnerability in your life? Sharing is healing. I say this all the time. Mm. Sharing is healing mm. for me. Mm. I it is so important for me. You know, it's hard. I'll talk about my parents' divorce and I'll get a text from my mom and she'll be like, I don't know if you remember that exactly how it happened or, you know, it's hurtful. It's hard to hear, but those are things that happened. And even if it's not exactly how it happened, Mm. it's how I remember it. It's Mm. how I perceived it. And it's Mm. how I've lived with it for the last 24 years. Mm. So for me, sharing is so important when mental health has been such a thing for so long that has been so stigmatized. We're so lucky. I mean, mindful wellness retreats <laughs> 10 years ago, you'd be considered like some frou-frou, like hippy-dippy weirdo for going on one of those. And now it's like all over the place. There's journals everywhere that are all about manifestation and people make mood boards. There's so many things that are so much more normalized. So for me, being able to be a part of that bandwagon and not letting myself think that there's enough in that space. There's never going to be enough. There are still so many problems. And maybe you reach a different group of people than I reach, and we're trying to do the same thing. And we should all just be supportive. I have four friends who have started a podcast since I started mine, and they're all in the wellness space. And there's no part of me that's like, oh, you copied me. Oh, you're doing what I did. I'm like, good for you. Let's do this. I'm so glad because who knows who you could cater to that I'm not catering to. And there's when it comes to wellness and all of this stuff mm. to me there's no competition mm. we need all the people to share and make people feel less mm. alone i mean my tiktok is all people telling stories mm. and talking all about their life and mm. things that have happened to them and i'm mm. just like one story that i'm like wow that was so relatable to me and mm. thank you mm. it's just so important talking mm. about how every single thing that has happened to me has made me who i am today wow. you mentioned a lot of your friends are getting into wellness and I, de- I definitely think we see a trend, an upward trend in the wellness field. Now, do you think that's because of a reaction to something in the world, whether it's culture, social media, media? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we see people that we follow, really big people, mm-hmm. and we see them commit suicide out of nowhere. We have no idea it's coming. And it shocks the world. Mm. And we're like, wow, there's so many people struggling and they look so happy and they have everything and they're wealthy and they're famous and they have what the dream is to have. Mm. But strip that away. There's people every day with a brother or themselves or a cousin or a mom or a dad who are committing suicide or Mm. doing those kinds of things. And it's so important to me that there's people who are willing to talk about these subjects because mm. there's, you know, there's the people who shock the world and wake people up, but there's so much more than that. And mm. it's, it's things that people struggle with every mm. single day. Mm. And so for me, like I said, if there's people who can tap into that in any possible way, cause mm. we all do it slightly differently. Mm. If there's anyone who can do that, mm. do it, mm. like join the space. I don't think it's a, it's a club. I don't think there's mm. a limit. I think there just should be as many people as possible in this mm. space. Mm. The culture is less and less stigmatized when it comes to mental health, but in certain communities, like I grew up, you know, in North side of St. Louis, you know, black community, we didn't have access to therapists. And if you felt like you needed a therapist, 
you know, some families would say, oh, just, you know, you can either pray it away or, you know, Jesus can can hand take the wheel yeah. or we might not have money for it. Or as a as a man and actually funny enough, not funny enough, but ironically enough, men commit suicide at a higher rate than females. So it makes mental health can make a man if you have issues feel like weak yeah. or lesser than a man. What, how do we destigmatize mental health? There's so much to be done, but I think first and foremost is if treatment is more accessible, people won't judge it as much. I try so hard to strip back from labeling myself mm-hmm. because I definitely have OCD. I definitely have depression. Mm-hmm. I have PTSD. Mm-hmm. I have panic disorder. Those are all labels that if you tell someone who's just joining the bandwagon of being open-minded to mental health as a whole, Mm. those are things that scare people. Labels, medication, Mm. therapy, those are all things that have been stigmatized for Mm. so long. Mm. So I think stripping back labels, Mm. making care more accessible, Mm. making it not feel so big and so labeled and Mm. so intense, if Mm. we can start there, We can get to a place where, I mean, here we are, and there's tons of people like us talking about it. There's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of people talking, and that's amazing. Mm. But the next step, in my opinion, is Mm. accessibility. Mm. It has to be more accessible, and it has to be something that makes people feel comfortable because so many people, Mm. even if it's talked about, Mm. are afraid to go to therapy Mm. or are afraid to take medication when they need to take Mm. medication. I'm like, look, I'm on Lexapro and I will shout it off the rooftops Mm. and save my life. Mm. And I'm okay with that. Mm. Not everyone is, and you don't have to be. Mm. That's also okay. Cause Mm. we could be sitting here and you support mental health just as much as I do, Mm. but you're not for medication Mm. and that's totally fine too. Mm. But if we make things accessible and therapy, Mm. affordable Mm. and available. There's so many things that can change. Mm. Just Mm. so many things. I'm for whatever works. You know, like it's so many people we want to play for a team, whether it's like the holistic alternative medicine team or the strict pharmaceutical. This is the only way that works. I think we need to look at it all. It's all. It's everything. It's not one thing. It's Mm. not like I just started taking medication and then Mm. didn't go to therapy. I Mm. took medication and I go to Mm. therapy twice a week. So for me, I have that balance where I'm letting the medication do chemically what I need. Mm. But with my internal strength and my mental and my mind, Mm. I'm using that power to Mm. also work together Mm. with the medication in my body. Mm. And, you know, it's not for me. I hope it's not a forever thing. But if it has to be, that's also a stigma I'm trying Mm. to remove. Mm. Like everyone's so worried about going on medication just to go on it for a year. And then Mm. they want to wean off. It's like, Mm. I'm not thinking that way. Right now it works. And if it doesn't next year, then it won't next year. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to make wise decisions, you know, look at everything from every angle and make a, a decision in the, you know, in our best and most developed selves, best interest. Um, you mentioned labels and uh, how you feeling by the way? Is it getting hot? I feel good. Getting steamy in here. I'm chilling. Maybe I'll drink um, some water. Yeah, but I feel good. get your little mountain little <laughs> belly in. Oh god, um, my hands are sweating. <laughs> you mentioned labels. You know, there was a philosopher Wittgenstein. He said that the the limits of of my language are the limits of my world. In you know, I, I studied anthropology, and in anthropology, we have things you know, theories and like linguistic relativity, uh, the more scientific, I guess, other name of it is the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, which essentially means your language determines your reality. I did a video uh, a long time ago, and it got a lot of negative uh, feedback, a lot of it. 
it happens. But, but also, <laughs> also positive. And it was interesting. I'll, I'll send it to you later. But it was called, it was called "You Are Not Depressed." And what I was getting at, which I think some people over this, I mean, this video has like 15 million views on YouTube, probably like 50 on Facebook, and people on both sides, right? right. So the premise of this was all about the label. Um, I use the science as far as your language determines your reality in this. And, and I said that you are not depressed. You are experiencing depression. Uh-huh. See, I felt as though when you call yourself something, it becomes you. Anything you put after I am, it's like, it's like water, the water in that bottle, right? It becomes the bottle. Right. So when you say I am this or I am that, you become that, but there's so much more to you totally. than that. But when you define yourself, you confine yourself. But I think when you acknowledge, hey, I'm experiencing this, I am. Ex- it, it gives more ah, space. It gives more space to I it. I couldn't agree more. So that language piece, I totally agree. Um, it's I think so important. It's important on both sides. If you are diagnosed with something mm. that you really need to attend to, mm. I think it's important. Mm. I think sometimes it is important if you really aren't able to live your life. Mm. If it's so debilitating Mm. that you cannot function in Mm. whatever way that is, Mm. you have to tend to that. Mm. But you also don't have to define yourself by that label. Mm. It can be something you've been diagnosed with Mm. and it can be part of your identity, but Mm. you don't have to, no one's requiring you. It's your choice. Mm. If you want to stand up and be an advocate for bipolar disorder, Mm. if you want to stand up and be an advocate for depression, anxiety, Mm. go for it Mm. and own it and, you are helping people. Mm. But if you have those things and you want to be a mental health advocate, you don't have to label yourself. You don't have to use mm. those terms mm. to talk about it either. Mm. It's so linear and mm. or not linear. And mm. it's really up to you how mm. you want to talk about mm. your journey. And if when I have a guest on, if they want to say what they are, what mm. their label is, mm. if they don't, mm. it's you don't have to because yeah. it's it's <laughs> mental health. It's all yeah. an umbrella. We're all yeah. underneath this umbrella. Anxiety to me is an umbrella and mm. everything else is underneath it. Mm. Everyone at some point in their life has anxiety. There's yep. not a single person who doesn't. Yep. Yep. It's yep. just a yep. fact. Yeah. <laughs> the average doesn't exist. You know, it's like it's, it's like everybody is going to face this stuff Absolutely. throughout. And so to develop strategies, even in advance, you know, they say the best time, you know, if you're married, the best time to go to a counselor or a therapist is when you're happy. Yeah. Not when things go wrong. To remember those moments, what's working. When it happens. Absolutely. All right, let's jump out of this sauna. Let's Let's get out of the heat. I'm sweating. Let's get some get some uh some hydration in (laughs) (laughs) it. Amazing. Let's do it. I actually had a health scare Mm. two years ago and had to have surgery. Mm. Um and after that. Before the surgery, I'm, I've always been a hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. So anytime I got a headache, I'd be like, I have a brain tumor. Yeah. And my family would be like, all right, relax. Like, you're fine. You just have a headache. And then I ended up having a tumor in my brain. It was not a brain tumor. It was a pituitary tumor. Okay. And when that happened, I had to have surgery. And it was like my biggest fear came to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had surgery for that. And I think leading up to it, I was super numb. And then after I had a small complication and there was a lot of anxiety that came after. My whole family was so 
relieved that it was over. But Mm. for me, it wasn't over. It was like just getting started Mm. because I had just started processing what had just happened in the last six months. Mm. And so that's when my family and I all agreed that getting a service dog would be a good thing for me so that I could get myself back to being able to be alone and Mm. not afraid to leave the house and all of those things. So I applied for my dog. He was trained for a little over a year. And then I went to Tahoe or Reno and stayed in Tahoe, picked him up, did a week long training session, got to know him. He was trained already knowing the things that he needed to know about me. Mm. And then I picked him up and I've had him since then. So it's been Bowie. Bowie. Yeah. David Bowie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Not David. His name is just Bowie, but it's after David Bowie. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. He's the cutest (laughs) thing ever. Ali, what was the most difficult decision that you had to make in your life in order to fulfill your destiny? I think moving back to LA after COVID and after like after my procedure and my surgery. I think that was really, really hard. I had a lot of attachment issues with my family. I didn't want to be away. I was afraid that something would happen. I've always been a homebody and really struggled with committing. I've lived in LA for seven years, but mm. during the two years of COVID, I was pretty much solely based in New York. Okay. And so I think jumping to move back to LA after all of that mm. was a really, really big decision for me. And I think it was the best thing I ever did. Mm. But I think when I'm in New York with my family, mm. it's a band aid. I don't mm. face the things that I need to face to heal. Hmm. But when I'm here, I'm able to, even if I might feel a little lonely or have to go through things alone, I'm actually able to go through them and challenge myself. And everything I have here is from myself because Mm. I didn't have family out here. I didn't know a single person when I moved out here. So my whole life here is a life I built for myself. And that to me is like, I think that's what gets me through any moment where I do feel alone. I just try to be proud of moving across the country and creating a life for myself that's solely created by me and curated by me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The hero is the, you know, Joseph Campbell. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he, um, so Joseph Campbell was the guy who he inspired, um, George Lucas, uh, star Wars. He, he wrote a book called the hero's journey. Um, or the hero of a thousand faces. And it's all about how the hero has to step away from home in order to find his or her path, mm-hmm. in order to become the hero that they were meant to be. Right. Um, and interestingly enough, the word hero, if you look at like the root, the etymology of it, it's servant. Um, and that's what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you've, you've, you've had the courage to step away from the familiar into kind of an unknown land and you're just, you're going through it. And now you, you have created a very amazing podcast, you you know, let's just figure it out. Let's try to figure it out. And it's, it's amazing. um, The topics that you touch on the, the, you know, whether it's body positivity, mental health, um, friendships, like real human topics. Yeah. Tell me, from your first season, what was the biggest aha moment that you had on your podcast? I think there's two. Okay. I would say the first one is learning that 
I had never in my life thought I'd be an interviewer or mm-hmm. be able to interview people. Journalism wasn't something I studied. That was never my mm-hmm. you know, passion. But I learned, and the biggest aha moment was that if you can make genuine connections with people and have authentic conversations, the interview kind of comes naturally. Mm-hmm. I feel like in this conversation, it's a perfect example of that. We're just two people talking and relating on subjects that we're very passionate about, and the rest comes so naturally. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that for me, I was so nervous to interview people when I first started. I didn't know how to not make it sound, okay, next question. Let me ask you this. Oh, great answer. I mean, I've been on other podcasts where people ask me something and I Mm -hmm. give a really thoughtful answer and their response is sometimes just like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then on to the next question. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a big aha moment of feeling like I found something that was meant for me Mm -hmm. was every episode and every interview, whether it's someone with a big following or just one of my great friends, felt so organic and natural. And that just made me feel like I was in the right place. So that was one of them. And I would say the other one was in my interview with Haley Jacobson, who is an incredible author. Her book is actually coming out soon and she's amazing. She and I had a two-hour conversation and my episodes are usually not that long it was the first episode we ever had to split into two parts because it was a really lengthy interview and it was with her where I shared the first time ever that I was a survivor Mm. and it was such an aha moment for me because I created this podcast to talk about my stories for others and to get other people to come share their stories to feel empowered and to help people and to feel safe Mm. And in an interview that was supposed to be about her, and it definitely was, Mm. she made me feel safe. And she made me realize that saying I'm a survivor could mean what I want it to mean, not because there's a lot of survivor shame. There is. Mm. There's a lot of shame about calling yourself that Mm. and what that means. And so for her to put me in a position where, you know, just a few episodes into taping my podcast where I felt safe to just go out and say that, Mm. I was just like. I'm still taken aback by that moment. It was mm. so special for me, and mm. it was one of my favorite episodes. You said you, so it's like therapy for you on this show. Every time, <laughs> every time I tape, I'm like, wow, that felt good. Wow, it's almost made it hard for me to go to therapy because sometimes wow. I'm just like, I'd rather just tape an episode, and it wow. feels just as good. Wow, <laughs> yeah, just that connection, right? It's like that's what we miss, you know, in our world, in our so divided world. You know, there's so many barriers to true connection. Totally. And these moments where you can kind of sit in the same, you know, breathe the same air as somebody else and look Mm -hmm. in their eyes and really connect. That's what what life is about. People always ask me, who's your dream guest? Mm. I could never answer that question because Mm. whoever comes on my podcast Mm. and shares something personal is my dream guest. Mm. I don't care how many followers you have. I don't care who you are. If you are willing to share something personal Mm. and help someone or yourself, Mm. that I couldn't trade that for anything. Of Mm. course, there's people I would love to have on. Yeah. But Jermaine, I, (laughs) I have no, yeah. J. Cole. How did you know? <laughs> How did you know? Oh, you know, I know things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, besides him. Yeah. <laughs> I love him so much. Um, but besides him, I would say there is it would just be impossible to say that mm. because anyone who shares is just mm. so meaningful to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many hidden heroes in our world. Man, you can learn so much just about the human experience from 
ordinary humans. Like I feel like the ordinariness is really what makes life beautiful. Absolutely. You know. And we're like I said, there's no division between your story and who you are. Mm-hmm. If you're super famous and want to share a story or you're not, your story is just as valid and valuable mm-hmm. and important. And mm-hmm. I think that anyone who feels comfortable to be able to get there is mm-hmm making progress for people in the world to see that they can do the same. Mm, 100%. So Oprah wrote a book uh, called This I Know For Sure. And so your podcast is trying to figure it out. I wonder in your life, what are some things that you've figured out so far? I would say I've figured out my priorities. Mm. I've figured out what's important to me. I've figured out what I value. Mm. And I've figured out enough of who I am to know what about me I still need to find out. Mm. I know who I want to be, even if I'm not there yet. Mm. I know someone who loves myself first and can still be a great person to others, Mm. finding that balance of selfishness because it's so important Mm. but also still staying true to the things that make me believe I'm the person I am and are why I think I'm a good person trying to find the balance between the two Mm. so that I can also find happiness from completely within Mm. so things I know for sure are that I'm strong that the things that have happened to me there's not one of them that I would change course I could wish they never happened but there's not one bad thing that has happened to me that hasn't made me who I am now and I wouldn't be sitting here right now with you Mm. I wouldn't be making the connections I've made I wouldn't be living here there's so many things that I wouldn't be if those things didn't happen Mm. so there's not a day that I'm not in a sense grateful Mm. and I wouldn't change it I just wouldn't I wouldn't change any any part of my journey, I would just continue pushing and Mm. trying to be happy and figure things out. And that's something I know for sure is that I'm also really, really grateful for my struggles and Mm. my adversities. Mm. I consider that the ultimate mindset. You know, when you can say thank you and bow to to your past or to things that you've gone through, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you, you know, you validate them or want to go through them again, but you can bow say thank you and Um, I did it mm. I'm still here and I'm okay and I'm happy and on the days where I'm not I know that maybe tomorrow I will be Mm. and that's something I would never take for granted Mm. ever Mm. in one of my meditation sessions this weekend we talked or the person guiding the meditation said to close your eyes and picture the younger version of yourself Mm -hmm. and you can pick what age it is, whether you were three or six or 10 or 20 for me, that's not as relatable because I was only 24, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I picked 10 year old me, which is when I start remembering my life because I don't remember anything before I was 10 years old. Don't remember living with both my parents. I don't remember a lot of things before that age. It's very fuzzy. So for me, I picture that girl and she said to give that girl a hug. And I don't think we ever think that way to just give yourself a hug and tell yourself 
that 10-year-old self, look at where you are now. And even if you go through 20 more things that happen to you, life is not going to stop throwing cur- curveballs at us. It's just not. It's never going to stop. That's the definition of life. <laughs> but just thinking to give 10-year-old me a hug was like such a powerful thing to think about. And I've never been told to do that. And I thought it was really special. That inner child work is so important. So important. Because our, you know, our personalities and kind of who we become um, is are built around those early form. That's why they call them the formative years. Um, they're where they're literally forming our brains, forming who we're going to become. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, we we can go through traumas at that time, and they become unresolved. And it's it's like only until we can go back, kind of time travel back, and give our 10-year-old selves a hug, yeah. say it's it's all right, it's okay. Um, can we heal yeah. our adult selves? <laughs> I can't wait to be 40 and give myself, my 24-year-old right. self a hug. <laughs> <laughs> well, back then, I mean, or, or back then, then you'll probably have like a, you could create an AI replica of yourself. <laughs> yeah, and actually give them a real hug. <laughs> give them a real hug. You can feel it, yeah. Who knows? Oh, that's scary to think about. Yeah. What are some um, some misconceptions, myths of mental health that you feel like should be thrown away? There's so many. But I think, you know, there's even us in this conversation with spirituality and trying to find that comfort with yourself and the beauty of life and finding happiness and not labeling yourself. I think that, you know, there's so many people who say that like, you should just be happy. You should just be grateful. I think like, it's really okay to not be okay. Like it's so okay. And I think when I'm having a bad day, Sometimes people will text me and be like, well, let's get out. Let's go do something. And sometimes that is what I need. But I also think like if you wake up and you decide that the best thing for you that day Mm. is to stay in bed, Mm. that is okay. Mm. And then tomorrow, see if you can push yourself. But Mm. if you can't push yourself, I think something we all try to do and a big stigma around mental health is Mm. just to try to constantly push ourselves. And mm. there is an element to that that is so important. Mm. You should never give up. Yeah, But it's also okay to listen to what your body is telling you it needs because sometimes it is telling you what it yeah. needs. Mm. So I think that's one that I would say. Mm. And I, again, like we talked about, labels are so, mm. so scary. I think we should strip away those stigmas around labels, around therapy, around medication, around think a lot of people, like I said, still think that going on a wellness retreat is a hippy-dippy, frou-frou thing to do. And I think the more we can throw away that judgment, that that side of us that thinks that that's just people, you know, being exploited and spending their money on something. And it can be. There's a lot of places that are still exploiting mental health, and that's a whole nother can of worms that we don't have to get into. But I think just no judgment. Like lack of judgment towards anything around mental health is the number one thing that needs to be thrown away. And it could be under any part of the umbrella. Yeah, that stigma is, is yeah, if we if we could live in a non-judgmental um, world, um, 
where we just un- try to understand. Yeah. So I think that would be a, that would be a beautiful space, you know, and the importance of mental health. I mean, literally everything we see came out of the human mind. Literally. So <laughs> to focus on the health of the human mind would allow less violent creations to come out of the human mind. Absolutely. Um, And anyone who stigmatizes mental health mm, has mental health issues too, mm, but they can be afraid to admit it. I mean, mm, I've seen my dad is a strong man and he is afraid of certain things mm, and he's super intelligent, super successful and an incredible father, but he would never admit when he's having anxiety or feeling sad or Mm. whatever he might be feeling. He just will say, don't want to talk about it or I'm fine. Mm. And you can just tell that he is stressed and overwhelmed and anxious, but it's not in his generation to call it that. That's for sure. And so he's so supportive of me and he knows when I have a panic attack, he'll be like, really again? It's every week with you. And I'm like, that's life. That's what happens with people who struggle with mental health. And it's not something I control. It could be every day. It could be once a month. It could be once a year. So I think there's so many people that do stigmatize it. And I wouldn't say my dad stigmatizes it at all. I just don't think it's his identity. And I don't think he wants it to be It's a different time. Totally you know? different, different time. Different time. Totally. Um, do you have a brother? I have a sister. Yeah, so, okay. I wonder how if you had a brother, how he would, because you know, raising sisters or you know, boys yeah. and girls, it can be different. He's a girl dad, and okay. he's the best, <laughs> the best girl dad ever. Mm. He's painted my nails before. <laughs> he is the best. Girl oh, that's dad cool. Ever. Did he paint his as well to match? Yeah. He okay, did. He that. didn't do that. Okay, gotcha. but <laughs> during COVID, one of my best memories was just Aww. giving him facials. He loved it. I would do the whole skincare routine for him. And he was like, can I have another one? And I loved doing that with my dad. He's just an amazing girl dad. He he gets a chance to to get in touch with his feminine side, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way that's culturally accepted. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned panic attacks. And I know you, you have a lot of experience in this area. And I'd love for you to share... Um, to to the listeners, if somebody is going through a panic attack, what are some things that you've learned um, that can help in these situations? Yeah, I think there's two different ways. I know when it's coming. I know when it's about to start. So I've learned some tools to stop it from getting to that point where the hormone of fight or flight gets released into your body. Because once that happens, it, it's really, really hard to stop it. And at that point, you kind of have to really accept that it's now real. It it really is. It's always real. But once that chemical, that hormone is released into your body, it takes a lot of effort and strength to get it to stop. So I would say my tips, if you feel one coming, typically the symptoms are lack of being able to breathe, shortness of breath, fast heart rate, dizziness, nausea out of nowhere, or just this feeling in your stomach of pit like in your stomach and like heaviness in your chest, all those can be signs of it starting. And I would say when that happens, tapping therapy, EFT, so incredible, such a great way to ground yourself and prevent it from starting. That's a really good tool. And deep breaths, 
if you're with someone, tell them how you're feeling. Have them try to distract you. Have them try to talk to you, tell you you're okay. For me, reinforcement is everything. Maybe not for everyone, but if someone next to me says I'm okay, I can start to think that I'm going to be okay. So those are all things I do to prevent it. Mm. If it's happening, you have to accept it's happening because once it starts – the symptoms get really real. Uh-huh. You feel like you need to go to the hospital. You might be throwing up. You might be passing out. Mm-hmm. You might be un- in- unable to breathe. It mm-hmm. can get really, really severe. Mm-hmm. And so once that happens, my best tips are to lay down cold washcloth on your forehead mm-hmm. always. You can try to do tapping therapy, but sometimes in those moments, it's hard to even get yourself there. Yeah. I always run a bath. Yeah. Try to do Physical that. Physical stuff. Physical things. Mm-hmm. I love um what incense mm. just certain little things mm. to calm me down and relax me mm. and any it's usually really small things because once it starts it's so severe that i can barely get up to go run the bath or mm. do those kinds of things so stay grounded lay down don't stand up because you mm. might pass out it's very possible mm. lay down deep breaths Tell yourself it's going to pass, yep. and it will. Yep. And when it passes, you're probably going to feel like you just did a really intense workout mm, because yeah. the exhaustion that comes when oh, you yeah. fight through that oh, yeah. is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. that's the tips I've learned, that's and great. I'm great. still working on mastering it. I mean, when my panic attacks are bad, I still think to myself, how the F am I going to stop this? Mm. Because it's really, really hard. Mm. So if anyone else has tips mm. – I would love to know them too because you, you you said I mean those are great like I mean man I, you you I mean you're giving therapy but you, <laughs> like I, I just look at you and your demeanor your energy your experiences will make you such a great therapist I everyone mean, says just, that I yeah. just when it comes if it comes I carry naturally. so much and I'm such an empath that yeah. I'm a little like like I've told you I mm. personally feel like some mental health illnesses mm. can be contagious yeah. and I'm really empathic mm. and I worry mm. for myself mm. that I could pick up too many of those things yeah. and not, like I've told you, I struggle with taking care of me. Yep. So it almost feels like I'd be catering to the, the side of me that wants to cater to everyone else. Mm. And I would, I would love to be a therapist. I do yeah. think I'd be good at it, yeah, yeah. but I think it might stop me from being able to, work on strengthening mm. my internal self and my mm. internal validation. We'll see what the 40-year-old Allie has to say. You know? Maybe we'll I'll be a therapist. She, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, it's like yes, yeah, it's, it's so, as an empath, you really do pick up on energies and things, but you got to you gotta really be like a, a dustpan. You know, you got to take in all the, mm-hmm. the rubbish and then at the end of the session, you got to put it in. Totally. I also think every therapist should have a therapist. Mm. I think that should be legally required. Well, Personally, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of like psychologists, psychiatrists. I mean, these fields. I think they're one of the highest in mental health issues. You know, even suicide. Yeah. Did you see the movie Smile? Mm. Is that a cartoon? No. Okay. It was a really scary movie oh. that came out. Oh yeah, I saw the trailer. Ago. Yeah. I highly recommend it from a mental health standpoint. I think the symbolism of the movie was so fascinating and important okay the scariness obviously isn't for everyone yeah. and i don't think that everyone watching it was watching it to do the whole mm. you know reading into it mm. thing they were more so just trying to watch a scary movie mm. but there is a lot of symbolism in it and 
I highly recommend you watch it if you yeah. like scary movies. Yeah. It is very scary. I saw the trailer <laughs> of the girl. Scary. She walked up to the window and then yeah. like her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the scary parts are a little unnecessary. I mean, it's a extreme. But I really think they should make a prequel because I'd love to know what happened before. Like, Because it starts off where this demon smiling thing yeah, yeah, already yeah. exists yeah i'd love to know the backstory i think a, a prequel to this movie would be really really satisfying for the people who read into the symbolism okay. of the movie okay okay i'll check it out i'll yeah. try to get my popcorn um, <laughs> be careful because you might throw your popcorn it's so <laughs> scary <laughs> well it's, it's interesting the name is smile and like our conversation about like mood and therapy and stuff and like one of the simplest things, one of the things that I do when I wake up, the first thing is to smile. Um, there's this theory, it's called the facial feedback hypothesis. And they say the facial muscles have the most impact on our emotional oh. state. So a big smile when you wake up, even if you don't feel like it, but you just, then you'll feel like it. That's right? so interesting. <laughs> I'm going to try that. Yeah. Just yeah. wake up and my boyfriend's going to be like, because <laughs> he saw the movie too. He's going to yeah. think I'm like infected by this thing. <laughs> You're gonna run out. That'll make you laugh then if he does. Um He's like, why are you smiling like that? <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, Ali, I got a few more questions I wanted to ask you. Uh kind of in the form of a game. Love it. I call this game the best. And I'm just gonna give you ask you a list of questions and you tell me what your best of each one is. Okay. What's the best advice you ever got? Ooh. Best advice I ever got was, honestly, it's the, the advice I give to people, to not be hard on myself, to just sit with how I'm feeling and not be hard on myself. And it's the advice I give to everyone too, because it's the advice that was given to me that's allowed me to get through a lot of things. I just want to respond to that because- one, I, I studied cognitive behavioral therapy. I've done a lot of CBT. Yeah. Okay, so you know, like the double standard technique? Mm -hmm. So important. Like, And for anybody listening that doesn't know this technique, it's so, so powerful because we are hard on ourselves. Insanely. But if we treat ourselves as though we are mm, a friend, um, what, like basically the double standard technique is you give whatever you're going through, you say, okay, what advice would you give a dearly beloved friend going through the same thing? And that's always what I say to people. Mm. It's always the same thing because everyone I talk to is so hard on themselves. Mm. They're like, why am I feeling yeah. like this? What's wrong with me? Yeah. So just don't be so hard on yourself. Mm. Whatever mm. you did wrong, whatever you didn't do wrong, whatever mm. you're feeling, it's yeah. all going to be okay. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Even if you made a mistake. Mm. Mm. Compassion, right? It's not complete if you don't apply it on yourself. Mm -hmm. What's the best book you've ever read? <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest. I'm not much of a reader. Okay. I really struggle you know, with reading Dr. comprehension. Seuss, it could be, you know, whatever. I love The Giving Tree. Okay. It's a great book. Okay. okay I love the okay. meaning behind it. Mm. It's not an intense book. Mm. It's just a really beautiful story and okay. it's stuck with me since I was a kid. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm really not I don't much know of a reader, that one, and I own it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either. I listened to like, like going like in school. I hated to read mm -hmm. um, until I realized like every problem I'll ever face is in a book. Yeah. So I listen to books more than I read them. You yeah. Know? So I love audio books. 
I've always struggled with reading comprehension. So I think it's really pushed me away from reading because it was always something that made me feel bad about myself. Mm. So I kind of, Mm. more of a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's got to be something you're interested in, you know? I know. Yeah. Yeah. I also get really distracted when I'm reading. I'm like reading a sentence and then I'm like, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Oh, yeah. The mind. (laughs) (laughs) What is the best quote you've ever heard? That's hard. I don't know. Best quote I've ever heard. Can it be a quote that someone said to me? Mm-hmm. Someone mm-hmm. once told me, don't let the things that happen to you define you. Let them guide you to finding who you are. Mm-hmm. And it's not a quote from a famous person. It's not a quote from an author, but it's a quote that stuck with me and has always been in my mind. Mm, it's beautiful. Uh, when was the best time in your life? I think right now. Mm. I think the last eight months have been the best time in my life because I've learned so much. I've found my passion. I am growing. I'm independent in positive ways. I'm learning who I am. I loved my childhood, but it was very up and down, and there were parts that were great and then not. So I would say the last eight months have been the best time of my life, and I'm excited for them to continue on. Yeah, yeah, and the best is yet to come. I hope. (laughs) Um, What's your best mental health practice? I kind of already said it, but EFT works for me every time. It's just so helpful. Mm. And then a personal one drives Whenever I'm anxious, I just get in the car and go for a drive. And I love to drive. Wow, okay. I could go driving for hours, <laughs> blasting music, mm. singing, and just mm. having a moment to myself. Mm. And it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um, and for my final question, this is the magic wand question. And I ask people, same question every show, okay? So it's like, if you had a magic wand mm-hmm. and you could wave this wand at the earth, Make a wish, right? A magic wish. And tomorrow when you woke up in the morning, that wish would be granted. What would your magic wand wish be? I would wish for unity, equality, and happiness for everyone. And whether that's getting rid of the difference between rich and poor or happy or unhappy, whatever that means, I would just wish for everyone to be able to be happy, free, and safe. Safe is probably the biggest one. Ooh, huge. Huge. That would be my wish. Wow. And Beautiful. I'd sprinkle a little bit on myself too. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> You're in there. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Ali Petiti, I wanna um I wanna finish by saying this was an amazing chat. I really enjoyed it. I love your authentic energy, Thank spirit. You. Um, you are a special just light worker on this planet, I can tell Thank from you. the moment I saw you. Um, where can people stay in touch with you, hear more about you, learn from you? Where can they go? Instagram. My Instagram is just my name, which is at Ali Petiti. Uh, you can find me on TikTok. I'm not the most active there at the moment because it's not my point of focus, but you can find me on TikTok with the same at Ali Petiti. You can find my podcast on YouTube if you're a visual listener and watcher. Um, we do video portions for every episode, so you can go on YouTube. It's just trying to figure it out with Ali Petiti. And then my podcast is available on all platforms, Spotify, 
shout out to them. But um, yeah, you can find it anywhere. Awesome. Yeah. Ali Petiti, thank you so much for being in, in sauna session. You're so amazing. This was such a special interview and I will remember it for the rest of my life. Same here. Same thank here. Thank you. Thank you.